What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry, the Cat's Paws. Derek, how are you? Doing well, Sean. How are you doing today? Doing well, Derek. The streak is officially coming to an end for me this week. I didn't submit credential requests for Kentucky Mizzou, and I'm not making the trip. And honestly, I'm not too disappointed about it. Kind of looking forward to sitting and watching one on TV this week because we... We get a home game next week, and then a bye week, and then another home game. So we don't have to really go on the road until Kentucky-Alabama. Yeah. Um, I think I've voiced my displeasure with the Missouri football experience one of these last few episodes. So no need to pile on the Tigers. Just not a great – it's a terrible drive, in my opinion, and uh, not a great place to watch a game. And just this year with how everything – there's no value in coverage of traveling somewhere. So – You'll tune in SEC Network with uh, Matt Stinchcomb and uh, the Taylor's Zarzars or how you say that? Again? Sorry, yeah. Taylor, if you ever listen to this, I don't know. How you Taylor Zarzer, Zarzer, Zarzer. I actually used to listen to him with Greg McElroy on XM Radio in the morning. So Taylor, they used to have a good show before uh, the 11 a.m. I think it was the 11 when it would start, maybe 10 with Rick Neuheisel and uh, Chris Childers. So I don't know if they do those shows anymore, but whenever I still drove my car. Um, because I had places to be before the pandemic. That was a great listen. Yeah, I, I know Chris still does something. Uh, but, yeah, you're right about the experience at Missouri. And I'm, I'm sure in two years, Derek, we'll be back out there when things are normal uh, because we'll be back to doing all the road games. But the streak's coming to an end. It dies at 42 straight for me. That I, I don't know. I, I kind of That's the, the part that I'm upset about. I was like, man, I want this to get to 100. But a lot of people's streaks have died this year. Yeah, we got to blame it on the pandemic. These all have asterisks behind them. They don't count. Absolutely. That's true. Or, so does that mean that win last week in Knoxville doesn't count, or does that count? If you go, it counts. But yeah. <laughs> you know, if you miss, it's not your fault that you had to miss. <laughs> and we're, we're going to get into all of the football talk on the back end of the show, but we have to lead off this one pretty much with basketball, Derek. This is a huge week in recruiting, and I mentioned the other day that the schedule should be releasing soon, and we got – a little bit closer to that this morning. So Kentucky, in the annual SEC Big 12 Challenge, Kentucky will play Texas. That game is set for Saturday, January 30th at Rupp Arena. We don't have times on those yet, or but we know it'll, pro, it'll be ESPN because ESPN covers that event. Uh, Derek, it's only the third matchup all time between Kentucky and Texas. Uh, Kentucky's 2-0. and Last time they played was 2014. Kentucky was number one. I think Texas was number six. Rick Barnes was still the head coach of the Longhorns then. Uh, it's interesting because it's like a it's like the Jay Lucas Bowl. It is. Uh, I actually covered that last game. I was early in my college days, 2014. <laughs> uh, covered that one for the Cats Illustrated crew back in the day. 
from what I remember, not a great game actually to watch. I think it was like a really a defensive slugfest. Uh, Texas did have some good players. Was that the uh, Miles Turner team? I'm pretty sure he didn't. Uh, yeah, Rick Barnes being stubborn, like wouldn't start his true freshman, who was like the best player on the team. He made him. I think I'm pretty sure it was Miles Turner. It was if Miles not him, Turner. It was another NBA. Player. Yeah. It was Miles Turner because Jackson Hayes was after him. That's right, because Jackson Hayes was a couple of years ago. That game was really ugly. You're right. I remember Kentucky. I think second half they went on like a 16-2, 18-2 run and kind kind of broke it open. I think they won like 63-51 or something like that. It was, which that Kentucky team. A lot, they made a lot of games ugly early in the season just because they were so good defensively. Willie Cauley-Stein was big that game. I think he had over 20 points, if I remember correctly. Uh, it was a big win for Kentucky that set up the rest of that season the way they went along undefeated until the Final Four. But this is a matchup that doesn't happen often. I, I think that's the exciting thing about it. I know a lot of people were hoping to see Texas Tech again. Uh, West Virginia also hasn't returned the trip to Rupp Arena, but it looks like, Derek, that we've sort of done away with the whole home-and-home home thing in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Now it's kind of just matching up, and you know at some point Kentucky's going to go back to Allen Fieldhouse at Kansas, but it couldn't be this year because they play in the Champions Classic. Yeah, I got these matchups pulled up right here. Um, a little bit surprised. Is Baylor not expected? I thought Baylor was supposed to be a pretty good team again this year. I'm a little surprised to see them get matched up with Auburn, but Texas will be – it'll be an interesting matchup. I don't know a ton about that roster. Uh, I know Greg Brown's out there and, you know, Matt Coleman, some guys like that who I've seen play a little bit. But, you know, under shock is smart. It seems like Texas has gotten kind of the rep as, as having some talent but underachieving with it. So it'll be a, a neat thing for them to come to Rupp Arena. But I feel like this is a game in terms of if you're looking for a win or a loss, you probably feel pretty good about about this game for Kentucky. And And Tennessee gets the same matchup they got last season. They get Kansas, but this time at Thompson Bowling. Uh, the last well, that's time the matchup, right? I mean, really. It is the last time. If is that is this? Will this be? Have has Kansas been to Thompson Bowling since Tennessee upset them when they were number one? No, it was like eleven years ago. Yeah, so I know. I think this is the third straight year these two teams are going to play. Right? I know they played New York uh, in 2018. Uh, Kansas won that game. It was a really early season game around Thanksgiving. And then last year, did Tennessee went to Kansas? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Shout out shout out to my former AAU teammate, Skyler McBee. He was the guy that hit the big <laughs> shot against uh, Kansas in 2008 or 2009. Well, it was 2009 because we were seniors in 2008. So, yeah, uh, big shout out to, to my guy for that big shot. So, uh, Tennessee will be looking to create some more magic in that series, Derek. And it's a game, Tennessee – Honestly, probably will be favored in at Thompson Bowling if things go as planned. I think Tennessee's the better team, honestly. Yeah, um, I gotta agree with you there. Actually, uh, I think before the season we'll rank our SEC team, so we won't spoil that now. But any other matchups, Sean? I don't know if you got it pulled up. I'm, I'm skimming through it. these. There's a, there are a couple interesting ones, I think. I mean. I think Texas looking, Tech at LSU, I think, is a sneaky good yeah, game. I mean, that's LSU's the one I was looking awesome. at. Yeah. That, that's that was the one I was looking at for sure. Uh, Alabama at Oklahoma, I think that was a matchup. What did they play last year too? Some of these matchups seem. Well, yeah, I know. Like, see, like Florida and West Virginia, I know played. I, I want to say they they definitely played one year, um, but it could have been a few. It could have been four or five years ago. But I mean, the deal is obviously they're trying to do the TV matchup, so. 
here pretty so, recently, a lot of the teams that have been at the top of both leagues are still there, so you're just kind of getting these games rotated in and, and out. With And this is something that they kind of go off of what happened last year. Yeah. That's that's the way the matchup because South Carolina's not here, and you know South Carolina's been picked as one of the top, the one of the better teams in the league this year, Derek, by some Don't people. Play like the uh, American Athletic Conference or something. They, they, they do, they do. So who's missing? South Carolina's missing. Uh, who else is missing? Off Vanderbilt's missing. Is anyone else in there? No, Mississippi State's on there somehow. Ole Miss isn't on there, and then there's one more that's not on that list. So there's ten games, right? Two, yeah, four. so there'd be four SEC teams. Georgia, Georgia's the other one that's not on that list. Texas a oh, Texas a is on there. Okay, or Georgia. And if you're needing to find this information, you can find it. It's on the uh, Southeastern Conference Twitter page today. Just scroll down, you'll see the 2021 SEC Big 12 Challenge matchups. It has a link to to the full release. Uh, well, are you surprised that Kentucky and West Virginia don't play more, just given Cal and Huggins' relationship? It's like the only time they've played really it was either the tournament or uh, in an event like this. I just feel like that would be an easy game to play most years. Yeah, and even going back to Billy Gillespie's time, they played in a an event in Las Vegas. Like, they never play just a regular season home-and-away matchup. That's And they're so close in proximity yeah. that you think that they would that they would play. And it's quite between the two coaches. Yeah, they, they like each other, yeah. I mean, you think that they would do some things like that. I still think that... At some point, West Virginia will come to Rupp as a part of this event. Uh, I thought they would in 18. Next year, though, I'm going to go out and say that Kansas is the team Kentucky gets, and they probably go to Kansas. They've not been there since Tyler Ulis, Jamal Murray year. So I think it's time probably that Kentucky goes back to Kansas because they won't play in the Champions Classic next year because Kentucky and Duke will play. Uh, this is a uh, this is overall it's been a successful event, Derek. It's not as uh, it's not as looked it's not looked at as big as the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but I like where this is at. It's it's that final weekend of January every year. It's kind of a, a good break from Southeastern Conference play, and you get what you get is you get to see some of these teams and how they stack up against another Power Five conference. Yeah, and I mean, and for Kentucky's case, most years it's going to be a, I mean, a resume builder. I mean, you think about what Texas Tech last year, I, I can't remember if Texas Tech was sliding at that point or what, but it was still, if I remember correctly, it was still considered a pretty good win at the time. For Kentucky that game um year before that Kentucky was already on a pretty good roll when they played Kansas and Rupp Arena but they got that win it was another another good win for them so it takes place at a time where you hope to see UK and those young kids that they have most years start to really turn the corner so I always think that this event's a pretty good measuring stick for for where they are to, to get outside of the league and to see a team that is a lot of cases the team that Kentucky plays is going to be a, a second you know, weekend type team, a Sweet 16, Elite Eight, maybe even a Final Four type team. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a heck of a matchup last year at uh, at Lubbock. You and I were both down there, Derek. It was uh, one of the last normal days, normal weekends that we've had up until you know the it was, pandemic it was started. The last normal day because nothing's been the same since Kobe died, and he died the next day. So that's true. Uh, and I remember, I remember you. You sitting there that day in Lubbock, and you were like, "Man, this coronavirus thing—it's going to be a big deal." And I was like, "No, it's not. No, we're good. Like it'll—it'll well, it'll go cats away." Are on one right now. I don't know if you can hear that in the background. We're <laughs> <doing a little laughs> hey, well, just just let it play out. Like I said, if they meow or something, it adds to the uh, podcast yeah. for your Kentucky Wildcats feature that I open up every episode with. But no, I remember you telling me that COVID nineteen was going to be something we'd all have to deal with, and I was like, "No." I don't think so. 
buddy, were was I ever wrong and you were right on that day. But uh, hopefully, sure. hopefully that we can uh, things get back to normal and we'll be back in the state of Texas again at some point. I would go to Texas right now, Derek, if things were normal. I'd go right you, back you and wanna, do it all again. You want to tell us how many times you stopped at Whataburger on that trip? Hmm. The over under for me on a trip to Texas, you should set it about six and a half because <laughs> it's probably going to seven. Uh, yeah, I don't miss. Like when we go to Texas, it's all three meals: breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then if I'm still hungry late at night after the game, I go to I go again. Uh, when I was actually when I was actually filing taxes for nineteen, I was like what did I do with all my Whataburger receipts? Because that would be like so many write-offs, and I, I had to go back in my bank statements and find them, and it was literally the entire month of January was just Whataburger over and over again. But Yeah, I've not been to Whataburger. I went, uh, my brother went with me to A&M a few years ago. We stayed in Austin on that trip and uh, hit up Whataburger for lunch, and I've, I've not been back since. So, Whataburger, little- if you're listening and you ever come to Kentucky, you I expect you to uh, – sponsor this podcast because <laughs> I have I've probably kept the lots on in at least one of your locations somewhere across that state. And you remember when they actually DM'd me and said that they were looking at bringing one to Kentucky because I had tagged them yeah. so much. So uh <laughs> Waterburger, my heart belongs to you, but in this state Derek, my heart belongs to the Butcher's Pub. Two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Derek, yesterday was Taco Tuesday. That is a new thing that they're doing now. It's Wing Wednesday today, 75-cent wings, $2 domestics. That buffalo chicken sandwich, Derek, that you and I and your brother Dalton, they, we all three have endorsed that thing. Uh, I'm probably going to go have one in the next couple of days. Get out there this weekend for the matchups in the SEC. Get out there watch Kentucky-Missouri at 4 p.m., uh, Saturday afternoon, and then stick around for some live music Saturday night. That's the Butcher's Pub, two locations, one in Palmville, one in Williamsburg. You can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook for more daily specials. Derek, staying on the basketball side of things, Isaiah Jackson is a guy that we've been hearing his name from some people. Now, John Rothstein actually tweeted yesterday, and this is a guy that I would probably pay attention to because he said the same thing about Emmanuel Quickly leading up to last season, that Emmanuel had emerged and improved significantly. He said he tweeted, well-embedded moles in Lexington continue to highlight Kentucky freshman Isaiah Jackson. Going to have a big role for the Wildcats, regardless of whether or not Olivier Saar is eligible. It's big-time news. I mean, does that, if you're a Kentucky fan, does that kind of give you a little bit of a sigh of relief to think, oh, just in case Saar isn't eligible, that, you know, Jackson's turning some heads? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be, you know, that's that's great news either way, but certainly much better news if Sar does get eligible just because I'm assuming Jackson would be a bench player at that point. And to have a kid who's turning heads that much, be able to come off the bench and give you a little bit of depth, I think would be really a big deal for this team. It's probably been a, uh, one of the most encouraging things. Just from, and I've not heard a ton out of basketball, but it does seem like Lance Ware and Jackson, both those guys, have – I wouldn't say been better than advertised because they were highly rated recruits, but it just seems like you hear some good things out of those kids. And I think just how important they're going to be, that's really good news. Obviously, to me, Sar is the he's the key piece in all this. You, you need somebody who has that experience, seven foot, can protect the rim a little bit. Although people have been saying this since they signed the kid, Isaiah Jackson, that you know he's probably going to be their best rim protector no matter if Sar is eligible or not. He's a guy, Derek, that – He's not got a lot of 
buzz around an NBA draft pick right now. But he's one of those guys that when he comes on campus, the coaching staff just falls in love with the way he plays. With his, you know, he, he's so quick off his feet. Uh, you saw him. He was late getting to campus this summer. I think he was the last one to arrive, but he was still working on his game. You saw him working on his jump shot, some of those baseline jumpers from the short corner and areas like that. I think he's a guy, Derek, that could have a huge season, just given there's going to be a need for him at that position. There's not – it's it's pretty much him and Ware and Sar in the paint. So you, you would expect him to get quite a few minutes, even if Sar is eligible. And then I told you a couple weeks ago that when I looked at the photo shelter – Lance Ware was showing up everywhere. He was showing up at the rim. If you're in those pictures and scrimmages, that means you're doing something. They're not just shooting pictures of people. You're around the ball doing something. So I think Kentucky's inside inside presence, maybe Derek, is, might be a little bit better than what we thought it was going to be, honestly. But we still have to wait and see. And how, if you, Do you ever remember a year like this? There are so many unknowns. This team's not going to get introduced to the fans at Big Blue Madness. There's not that blue-white game or those exhibition games. I think even us as media, we're all going in, into this on the same page whenever they play that first game. We just we don't know anything. Yeah. Um, the only thing that would throw a wrench into all this, and this is probably looking too far ahead, but just the way Kentucky's recruited. And, again, I think this is going to become a program that really hits the transfer market hard in the coming years, not only the grad transfer market, but once the one-time transfer is approved. So maybe that's not to change how I view high school recruiting. But it doesn't seem like they're really recruiting with the idea that, you know, they're going to lose every big this year. But, you know, I guess you got to strike that balance at some point. How good – I mean, if Ware is great this year or Jackson's great, obviously it's going to help your team out tremendously this season, but does it throw you in a hole for the future years? As we've seen in the Cal era, it's probably not a real thing to worry about because they seem to always find a way. Most years. Uh, there have been some years where they had some holes that they just couldn't fill. But – uh, does that make sense, what I'm saying? I mean, it would be does. great. I just don't know that uh, it's almost like if they do turn out to be that good, it's it's almost like they even out, out uh, you know, exceeded the coaching staff's expectations for them in their first year. It does. And, uh, you know, everything that we've been getting to for these, from these preseason interviews with coaches, that they really like the one-two punch of Devin Askew and Davion Mintz, Derek, at the point guard spot. Uh, I think Kentucky has a roster. We don't know a lot about it. Obviously, Keon Brooks is battling an injury right now. We have no idea what's going on with that or how long he's limited. Uh, B.J. Boston's still working back from the injured finger he suffered earlier this summer too, Derek. So they have a couple of guys that are banged up and trying to get healthy. Might be a good thing that the season did get pushed a little bit for some of these guys. Uh, but we're, we'll continue to talk basketball as we kind of just – move right along into that, that timing. November 25th, I think, is the scheduled day to start the college basketball season. We don't know official dates on UK's games, but I'm assuming, Derek, that it will be somewhere around the 25th to the 27th that they'll play a game uh, at Rupp Arena's that MTE that they'll host before playing Kansas in the Champions Classic in Orlando. But we'll have the full schedule pretty soon. A couple more basketball notes, though. Sky Clark will announce tomorrow, actually. Uh, Derek, too, it sounds like, that Bryce Hopkins is getting close to a decision. I think Jack Pilgrim actually tweeted that Sunday night is what his father told him that they're targeting, sometimes Sunday, uh, to make a decision. So Kentucky could get two commitments in the next couple of days. I told you before we started recording that I actually feel really good about where Kentucky is with Scott Clark. Yeah, um, just based on what I've heard from you and some other people, I, I certainly feel like it's it's going to be Kentucky tomorrow. But – I will say, since there have been some curveballs in this kid's recruitment, just from what I've heard, um, 
but as it settles in, you know, like you said, we're a day out. I, I certainly wouldn't trade Kentucky's spot with anybody else at this point. And Bryce Hopkins is the same deal. Some other schools it seemed like were, were trying to get in there and, and take him off of uh, – because Kentucky was kind of perceived to be the leader pretty much as soon as he decommitted from Louisville. So we talked about it uh, either last week or – yeah, I think it was – or I guess Monday is when the episode came out that uh, this commitment list was going to be looking quite a bit different. And like you said, here we are probably three or four days from now. Whether Clark is in 22 or 21, you're going to at least have a few more people there with Hickman to uh, think about for the future. Yeah, and I will say this, uh, Scott Clark, when he if he commits to Kentucky, he will it will be 22 right now. I, I wouldn't expect, if he's going to move to 21, Derek, I think it's going to be a long time before he announces that decision. I know he still has plans to play AAU basketball. And if Given the pandemic and things, who knows what happens if the EYBL circuit resumes next uh, spring or not. But, you know, we mentioned Hunter Salas and some guys in the past. There's a lot of things happening right now on UK basketball recruiting front, and it will continue to happen all the way through signing day and stuff in November. Uh, Derek, we talked a little bit about Hunter Salas and things like that, and if he'll make a decision in the spring or the fall. Uh, I did talk to Jack Pilgrim the other night, and Jack was talking that he actually talked to Salas and someone from Salas's camp, and he mentioned that Salas plans to announce in the spring, but whether or not you can take official visits and actually get to campus could impact that. So we, there's still some things that are – I mean, we saw that happen in football recruiting too, Derek, with Jagger Burton and things like that. If you can't take official visits and then you clearly know sort of where you want to go, it's probably a little bit easier to pull the trigger knowing that you can't go look at these other places. No question. Isn't the – uh, dead period all the way to January 31st right now, or is it just it, the end of this year? I think it, I, I think it might be to the 31st because I know it's definitely not anytime soon that they can get on campus or do any kind of visits like that. So these guys making decisions, Derek, they're kind of in like Nolan Hickman's never been to UK's campus, and he committed yeah. unless it's been unless it's something weird that he's been passing through in some AAU event in the past or anything like that. So all these guys making these announcements, they, they haven't had the opportunity to go and tour the U.K. facility and, or even take unofficials or anything like that unless they were a Big Blue Madness visitor when they were like a freshman or sophomore when they send out those invites. Yeah, I think he's a great example of basketball and football recruiting where you're seeing the Blue Bloods really not miss a, not They're really not missing a beat, right? Because Kentucky football is going to have a much harder time convincing a kid to commit at least a highly rated kid to commit to the school without ever being there. Yeah. Whereas in Ohio state and football in Alabama, you can probably pull a kid off your name alone. And that's what Kentucky's done in basketball. Obviously with, uh, with, with, uh, almost at sky, but with Nolan Hickman, but you know, I wouldn't be, it'll be tougher for a kid like Hickman who lives out West, but like a Scott Park, for example, obviously you can't take the visits in the school. Like can't communicate with you. You, you can't, take an official where they, they pay for you, but like kids can still visit campus like a normal person. It's just, it can't be, you know, a school sanctioned thing. You've seen that a lot in football recruiting here recently. I know LSU had a really big event where basically the commitments put it together and they had kids fly in. And I guess if the, if the kids have the financials to do that, then it's something that could really pay off in their benefits. So I do wonder if at some point Hunter Salas and his family, if they will just decide to come to Lexington just to check it out. Yeah. Uh, Bryce Hopkins did, did. yeah, Yeah, he did, and that's why I think you know it seems like Hopkins is Kentucky. Whenever he makes that announcement, I mean, you don't just drive 
to that school in, in August or whatever day, maybe September, and just go see a school without really getting to, yeah. you know, go in buildings and things like that. So obviously Kentucky was very high on the list from the start when they offered. Salas, I, I just look at it, Derek, that they have Hickman already. Let's say they add Sky tomorrow. Uh, I, I think there's there's a path there for Salas, Clark, and Hickman. You know, all in the same class. Kentucky is a place that where we've seen it work with multiple guards. Look at what they played this season. They played three guys that played point guard in high school together on their backcourt, and Hagens, Maxie, and Quickly. So it's a place that they can make it work. Uh, we still have to wait and see what happens with Askew. And then, too, we haven't even mentioned this. Does Davion Mintz use his extra year that he gets, or does he leave after one season? Because now they're, he's a senior, and they know he can be a senior again next season. Same, thing, same can be said for Olivier Saar. Do these guys leave after one season, or do they come back to Kentucky? Given it's such a weird year with the pandemic and the season and everything, I mean, Mintz has missed time in the past due to injury. It is uh... – an interesting thing. I, I tend to think those guys, I mean, especially Mintz, this is already his fifth year, right? Yeah. So I tend to think he'll probably, I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see how it plays out. I, I just think at Kentucky, this rule is just going to mean so little to them. Just, you know, you're always going to have a whole fresh crop of players coming in the next year. As of now, I'm doing the same for football too. I'm really not planning on any of those guys who are seniors to come back just because I think, I think they're going to get to play their seasons, basically. So, you know, I, I don't know if it makes as much sense for those guys to come back unless they just really want to and the coaches are on board. I, I think that's a thing that we still have to see. Like, obviously it's going to be a – as a coach, you're going to be encouraged to welcome people back. But I just don't know how many are really going to want to go along with that, though. As bad as it is – I don't know if it's even bad. It's just – to me, the extra year of eligibility, I'm thinking about football right now because who knows what's going to happen with basketball, perhaps, or something that causes it to – slow down or have some more games canceled but like Kentucky football so far I just have to think if they do play their 10 games like I just don't know that most of these kids are going to come back I think if you're a senior already whatever plans you've already had for your life whether it be trying to play professional football or moving on into another part of your life like I don't I've not seen anything yet is what I'll say that makes me think any big decisions will have been made to, to change their minds yeah, I'm with you on that, and we'll just have to wait and see how all this plays out with this roster shakeup. It has definitely added another element to Kentucky basketball in spring, and we'll just have to wait and see with guys leaving early for the NBA, guys deciding not to use this extra year. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see how it all plays out. But let's go ahead and transition to the football side, Derek. This is the part of the episode that we really want to get into. Kentucky has a winning streak against Missouri. It's five games. You came yeah. up with the you came I, up with an interesting note this morning. Oh, it's wrong. That's all I wanted to tell you before we got in there. It's it's kind of wrong. So I'm glad we brought this up. Uh, I told you Vanderbilt was the longest win streak for Kentucky in the SEC. It was six straight games. They actually have they actually beat Mississippi State eight straight times, but it wasn't consecutive years. It was it was actually over a span of 32 years. So until 1990, Kentucky and Mississippi State did not play every year. But what Sean was getting to and what I told him before is that if Kentucky wins on Saturday, it'll be the longest consecutive winning streak over an SEC opponent not named Vanderbilt. So in terms of year a yearly series, it will be. So we just talked about history last week, Sean, with some winning streaks or losing streaks in the case of Tennessee. Now they've got a chance to go up 8-3 to three all time in this series. Yeah, and the, the way it started, those games weren't even close with Mizzou when Stoops first got to – to Kentucky when Missouri first came into the league. So 
Uh, and Stoops is going to give you the coach talk, too, with the whole, you know, I don't look at streaks, that all that stuff doesn't matter and all that. But in the back of his mind, I think he knows that that's been the biggest move forward is how they've dominated South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Missouri in recent years. It's helped them move up the, the order of the SEC East, Derek. And now you start knocking off Tennessee and Florida consistently, you climb a little bit higher. But to maintain that, you you have to keep beating these Missouris and these Vanderbilts and these South Carolina teams. Yeah. Uh, it's it's probably a series that's incredibly frustrating, if I had to guess, for Missouri, given where they started off when they got to the SEC and kind of where their program has fallen now. Because uh, I, I want to give a lot of credit to Missouri. They obviously, under Gary Pinkle, when they got to the SEC, they had a very good program. I mean, they had won a lot in the Big 12. They came here, and yeah, like they did catch Florida and Georgia at a time where those programs were gone, but you still had to go out there and win it. I mean, South Carolina had a good program back then. So that has been a program, though, that you never want to say never, but I think we actually talked about this, Sean, at some point. Like, I don't I don't know that Missouri's getting back to the, like, really contending for the SEC East. They're not, and I was actually going to ask you, so they built a really good program in the Big 12. Uh, they they were successful there. They were always they were on national TV often, Derek, in those days too. Now, I mean, they're on TV every single Saturday now. But how much do you think it's hurt that that part of the country you really don't consider to be SEC? So a lot of these guys that maybe they look at going to Missouri, they don't get to play in the state of Oklahoma. They don't get to play in the state of Nebraska. They don't get to play in states like that in that part of the country where probably a lot of these guys that they're targeting are from, how much do you think that that impacts sort of how they've just fallen off? Because how many how many people in how many recruits in the South are going to Columbia, Missouri? You know, not many. Um, I mean, like I, at least Kentucky borders Ohio. They can get kids from that state. Where does where does Missouri go? I know. I mean, uh, traditionally, I know they recruited a lot of Midwest kids. I know Illinois. Illinois is still a big state for them to recruit. And then, obviously, you know, they had a lot of success with kids from their home state. Drew Locke was a Missouri kid. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I think uh, Doriel Green Beckham. I think was either a. I think he was a Missouri kid back when he played there. So, in those days, they had a lot of good kids who who came through there. But yeah, like you said, now I mean, Texas will probably always be a big spot for them to recruit kids, but. That's probably the biggest thing for for Missouri is Georgia figured itself out. With, I mean, Mark Rick was a good coach, but obviously the program in Georgia had fallen off. Florida was just a wreck with uh, Will Muschamp, and then uh, McElwain got in there. Kentucky was really bad when they got to the SEC. When Missouri got to the SEC, Tennessee. I don't know how much better Tennessee really is now. Uh, a matter of fact, Missouri's had a lot of success there in Tennessee in that series up until last year. But even Vanderbilt actually had a pretty decent program at the time that Missouri came in under James Franklin, but obviously they've fallen off now. So when I look at Missouri, like I don't – honestly, on paper, given their recruiting geography, the coaching, just the investment, like I'd probably have them sixth every year in the SEC, even even behind Kentucky for sure. Just because, like you said, I mean, UK has that area in Ohio. It can go and get kids. And then coming up, the in-state kids, you know, they look, they look pretty good for the future. So they can fall back on that. And they've been able to do that for a few years now. Yeah, and and two, if this if you had this Mark Stoops program at Kentucky in those early years when you mentioned you know Florida under Muschamp and you know South Carolina starting to kind of go the other direction there, 
Kentucky and Mark Stoops probably would have won the SEC East one of those years if this had been the Kentucky program six years ago. Yeah, it just happened Kentucky was bad when everybody else was <laughs> kind of bad, too. They were just way worse than uh, – And then Kirby goes them. to Georgia, and then Georgia starts getting things figured out and stuff. So, yeah, I'm, uh, this definitely – Kentucky could have got to the SEC championship game seven or eight years ago under these – under this. Uh, how pissed off do you think the fans are going to be at Missouri, the ones that will be there on Saturday, given what happened the last time Kentucky played over there? Hmm. Yeah. I, I would say that that's a game I they wouldn't win. Like those guys thought they got robbed. I mean, uh, it was it was well, certainly a controversial call. I mean, I it was it was to the benefit of Kentucky football, and I would argue that Kentucky football, given its unlucky history, deserved a break like that. And two, it was a Mod Wagner, and that was the first time he had ever stepped on the football <laughs> field, Derek. And it was a pass interference call. And the thing is, is it's not something that went away. He got plenty of them the following year. So whatever the official saw on that play is the same thing that every other official saw last year on plays. So at least it was consistent. It was, uh, you know, going through this series, like we said, Kentucky's won five in a row. That streak started in 2015. Uh, it was actually a top 25 victory for Kentucky back then. 21-13 win at, I believe it was still Commonwealth Stadium in 2015. Could be wrong. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, that was the year they called it like New Commonwealth Stadium or whatever. Yeah, uh, 17 was the first year of Kroger Field. So the biggest victory in the series actually came last year. It was a 22-point win for Kentucky in the rain, 29-7. to uh, Really a game that if Kentucky can, you know, they made one defensive mistake on that screen, and Tyler Beatty, I believe, ran it for a pretty long touchdown. If they, if they make a stop there, maybe they shut out Missouri last season. So new coach, Eli Drinkwitz, is, is the head man over there now, a Scott Satterfield disciple. So I think you'll probably see similar type offense, you know, not exactly the same, but really predicated on the big play, things like that. But I don't know, Sean. This is a series that, like you said, I mean, this is a this is a take care of business type game for Kentucky. And I don't want to act like UK's program is just so far superior to Missouri. I'm not trying to say that. I do think it's better though. And well, if you're going to get where you want to go in this league, you got to win games like this. Well, look at the quarterback that they've had the last five times Kentucky's played Missouri. You went from having Drew Lock there, who is in the NFL, who was a very good college quarterback that couldn't beat Kentucky. Uh, the defense, absolutely, that was the most remarkable thing I've ever seen. Was it eight straight drives that they didn't get a first down in the second half that year that they came back at Missouri, yeah, which is incredible. And then last year, Kelly Bryant, who I, he got injured in that game too, though, didn't he, yeah, against Kentucky? He did. So good quarterback play, two really good quarterbacks. Kentucky's been able to push the streak on up to five straight wins now in the series, Derek. And looking at the series – and going back to the streak, which win stands out to you, or two wins that just stand out to you that were maybe the best wins or the biggest wins of the last five? Definitely 2018. Uh, the way that it happened, like I said, almost never happens for UK. To They really overcame an abysmal offensive day. They played three quarterbacks in some role. They didn't really. I mean, Gunnar Hoke got true reps, whereas Danny Clark was just special packages, but they found a way to win that game, and it set up, you know, one of the one of the biggest weeks in Kentucky football history, at least modern history, against Georgia that following week. So that was a big win, even though the game itself was was rather ugly from an offensive standpoint. Uh, 
And then I would say 2016 was a big one because that basically yeah. guaranteed bowl eligibility for them. Uh, they ended up playing Austin P that year to get their sixth win and then beat Louisville as well to finish with seven. But at the time, when Kentucky beat Missouri that year, Louisville was still no kidding. I mean, they were a playoff contender at that point. I believe they were actually in the college football playoff rankings at like number three or four. So the thought back then was that Kentucky was not going to win that game. But if they could beat Missouri – They'd still get to six and six. So and, that was and a, that was really kind of the first time under Stoops that they really dominated a team as well. I believe they were up twenty eight points at one point in that game. And it was really the first SEC team that they clearly uh, just kind of imposed their will on. Yeah, I was going to go with that one too because it was coming off the big win for Mississippi State the week before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then last year too, Derek, they they had just lost to Georgia. They got shut out at Georgia, and I feel like that that Missouri game is when they really solidified Lynn Bowden and that offense that they were running the rest of the year last year. I think that got them to four and three last year. So uh, big win. Uh, so definitely some big wins. These wins against Missouri have kind of propelled Kentucky in two or three seasons to a strong finish. So it'd be interesting to see what happens this week. Kentucky has a chance to get to three and two and get above 500. Derek, I know that's something that neither one of us two weeks ago thought that we would see again this year until maybe the back end when they tried to climb to get it to 500, but they got a chance to get above 500. Yeah, I think they will. We'll save our predictions for Friday, but this is a game I feel pretty good about for Kentucky as long as the focus is there. That's the big thing this week, you know. I, I already see it on the on TV or on Twitter. I mean, I mean, how many interviews has Jamin Davis done this week? <laughs> Seems like everybody <laughs> in the world has wanted to talk to Jamin this week. So he's been doing a lot of interviews. I know Kelvin Joseph has done some. It's a good thing. I mean, it's a great. You play well. People want to talk to you. I'm not saying that they're not going to be focused because of that. I'm just saying, like, this is really the first time this year. Like, there was a little bit of it after Mississippi State where people were praising the team a little bit. But this was really the first week where uh, they really feel good about themselves, and they should for the way they played at Tennessee. But now is the time that uh, you focus back in and you go out. And the spread's pretty tight. I mean, this is not a game that Vegas sees UK as a heavy favorite. I think UK is, what, four and a half, something like that. Yeah. So I know the ESPN matchup predictor has them as like a 60% chance of winning. So, I mean, it's uh, UK is going to be favored, but it's not a game that, you know, I don't know if it's a game that they can go over there and not play well and still win. So they need to come out there and play some good football on Saturday. If they do that, uh, whatever amount of people will make it into Kroger Field, obviously that's capped at 12,000 or whatever. But you get Georgia there uh, at home coming on a three-game winning streak, you should get another good atmosphere uh, that day. And that Kentucky defense, too, Derek, I mean, if they can come out again third straight week and just look impressive, maybe hold Missouri to 10 points or fewer, that would be uh, another big statement for Kentucky's defense. One little nugget that I want you to add here before we wrap up, Travion Longmire, now a four-star prospect. Yeah, Trey, uh, mom, mater, Corbin, uh, actually now two four-star prospects at the high school, which for anyone in that area, it's, it's, it's really, really, really hard for me to believe because I don't think they've had a Division One FBS football signee and it's been many years. I think maybe the early 2000s was the last time they had anybody signed to play at an SEC school or FBS school. So congrats to Travion. He's a guy that I do have the crystal ball pick in for Kentucky. I've not talked to Trey in a while, um, but – 
you know, Corbin's working its way through their high school season right now. Not getting many possessions. Sean, they played a, a wing T offense last week. I think I read they only had six possessions on offense. So not sure what Trey's numbers have looked like this year, but this was definitely a rating that came out of camp performance. I know he went to the combine, I think, in July in Columbus, and uh, our 24-7 guy saw him there and really liked him. So I think it was only a matter of time for Trey that he became a four-star prospect there. But congrats to him and also to go to Patterson, who is a, a top 100 prospect for the 2023 class. Shout out to Tom Greer there yes. from from Bell County now to Corbin with uh, two four-star athletes on in, in his program. That's a very big news for southeastern Kentucky, Derek, to have that type of talent playing every single Friday night. You, you and I understand what how big that is for the area. Uh, but this has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. Thank you all so much for your ratings, your reviews. If you have any suggestions, feel free to DM us, email us, reach out to us on Twitter. We'll be back again with another episode. See you then. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.